You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Exodus. The book of Exodus underlines God's desire to rescue people from their misery to a life of promise, meaning, and fulfillment. This eight-week series explores key moments within Exodus in order to more fully appreciate God's love for people. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are not in Exodus, but this is the story of the Exodus of the Israelites. So they're still out of Egypt. They're past that, but they're not to the promised land yet. And so we're kind of counting it. You know, it's still in the story, although it's not in the book. So um, we're in Numbers 21. And this story in particular is a bit of a weird story. Um, just to set this up, I mean, there, God has come to this nation, Israel, that was slave to these Egyptians for 430 years. He says, I'm going to bring you out of there. I'm going to bring you to this promised land. And he's brought them out through his mighty hand. He's brought them through the Red Sea, literally part of the sea, which is what the Exodus picture is all about, brought them through. And now they've been on this kind of crazy journey since then. And in this story, they get impatient with God. They start to complain. God sends serpents, because that's what happens when you get impatient. Snakes show up. And uh, God sends serpents. The serpents start biting the people. They start dying from the snake bites. And then the people come to Moses. They say, sorry, we complained. Moses prays to God. God says to Moses, I want you to make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole. If they look at the bronze serpent, somehow the snake bite won't kill them and they'll live. And so Moses is like, okay, puts a bronze serpent on a pole. He says, look at that and you'll live. People start looking at it and they don't die. And that's the story. It's kind of like, great, that's weird. What's the deal? So to put it in context, the Israelites are on this way to this promised land. God's promised to bring them out. And this is where they're headed. And this is where they came from. Um, Straight path, right? So uh, God brings them out of Egypt. And they can't go this way because this is where the Philistines are. And uh, the Philistines will attack them to try and kill them. So they can't, God says, we're not going to go that way. We're going to go down here. So they cross the Red Sea here. Uh, They wouldn't have had to cross the sea had they gone the original way. And so God's kind of showing them, yeah, I'm going to lead you through difficult things, but like, I'm going to be the one leading you through. I'm going to make a way. And he brings them all the way down. And then he's bringing them all the way up. And then they're going to go there. And all they have to do is come through Edom and go straight up. But he brings them all the way up and they get here and Moses comes to the people. So they're like right there. I mean, this from here to here is about 380 miles. So it's like from here to Kansas City, you know, and they've been wandering. This is a 40-year path, 40 years for 380 miles. It's like six miles a year, not doing too well. And uh, they didn't have cars, you know, for us it'd be like four or five hours. But uh, for them, I mean, four or five hours if you're speeding, but let's be honest, who doesn't speed? So uh, four or five hours, but for them, you know, maybe three weeks, a month, the way they're traveling, but 40 years, it's really bad. And so uh, they get to here, and Moses comes, and he's like, hey, we can't cross through Edom because, um, like, they won't let us. So we're going to have to go all the way back down to the Red Sea, and then back up to the Promised Land. And this is where the people get impatient. If you, I mean, I can sympathize a little bit, you know? Like they've, 40 years, they're doing this thing, and they, they hit this spot, and that's where we're at, Numbers 21. They get impatient, and they start to grumble against the Lord, which at first you can sympathize. Like, you know what? If that was me, I would get impatient too. 
But then you see it's a lot bigger deal than that. And you know what? There's detours in our life. Like, God has a plan for your life. The the scriptures tell us that before the foundation of the world, God had a plan for your life. He predestined a plan for you. He, He set out your path before you ever started to walk it. And he has a plan for your life, but there are all these detours along the way. And these detours... Uh, We're we're good on the map. Thanks, guys. Uh, These detours, they can feel like real roadblocks. Like life can feel like I'm going one step forward and two steps back. Going one step forward, two steps back. You can feel like that with relationships. Maybe you're single and you you feel like, man, I wanted a spouse. You know, I was 18 years old and I wanted to get married. Maybe some of you ladies, I was three years old and I wanted to get married. And uh, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And it just feels like this, this thing that's in front of you, it's never coming, and you're like, God, I'm 25, God, I'm 30, God, I'm 35, I'm 40, I'm 45, God, like, what's going on? Or maybe you are married, and you have, you, you want to have kids, and you're trying to have kids, and a month goes by, and two months goes by, and six months goes by, and 18 months goes by, and three years goes by, and it's like, God, can we, what's, like, we thought that we could have this, we, we expected it to go this way, and it's not going this way, like my wife's story, we wanted to have kids, and we tried for a year, we got pregnant, miscarriage. Another year, got pregnant, miscarriage. And it just, these things, they, they go deep. It's like, God, I expected it to be different. I expected this blessing and favor, and that's just, God, what's going on? Maybe, you know, you got married, and you had, like, Mr. Right, or, like, the babe. And then you get married to him, and the mask comes off. And you're like, who are you? barbarian? Pick your socks up. Lift the lid. Treat me better. It just feels like life's just getting detoured all the time. Maybe it's at work, you know. Every turn just seems like a turn for the worst. Like, you don't get the promotion, you get demoted. Maybe you got fired, can't find a job. Finance. I mean, there's just all these things in life. Your kids, you expected your kids to respond to your parenting and to be different, and they grow up and they rebel against you, and it just breaks you. And there's all these things in life, all these detours on this path that God's taking us on. And the Israelites, they got really impatient. And actually, you know, in our life, we can get that way too. And we don't get to choose our path. God lays our path out before we're born. All we get to do is walk it. And the hardships that are along our path, the things that come along our path that feel to us like detours, they can do two things. They can make us better. They can make us bitter. And the Israelites, they got bitter. If you check out verse 5, it says, They spoke against God and against Moses. They're complaining. At first glance, you're like, yeah, I get it. They're just blowing off some steam. Like they, 40 years to go, it should have been a month. But then you realize it's a lot deeper than that. They say this to Moses. They say, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? You know, it's the same thing that they said when they came out of Egypt and they were facing difficulty. And then when they came to the Red Sea, they said it again. And then again, and then again, and then again, and here again. They're complaining. And the banner over it or the headline over them is the same every single time. God has brought us out. Moses has brought us out to let us die. They have this pessimistic view of God. And this pessimistic view of Moses' leadership. It's a headline over their life. It's the story they're telling. You know, our life, we all have a story. And all these different things happen. And we tend to put this banner over our life, whatever your banner is. It could be a banner that, man, I keep trying and trying and it's not happening. 
Maybe the banner, the headline over your life is pain, difficulty, hardship, frustration. God's holding out on me. Maybe that's the story over your life. My life is fill in the blank. There's a different headline that God wants to put over their story. It's a headline of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What they see is another detour. What they need to see is with the eyes of faith that the God who promised, who said, I will lead you to the land, the God who's been providing for them and blessing them, they need to see with the eyes of faith that the Lord is leading them through. You know, faith and bitterness, they don't mix together. They're like oil and water. They don't go together. They can't go together. Faith allows us to call in the promises of God, to call in the Word of God, to stand on the truth of what God says, even when our circumstances and our feelings don't align with what God says. Our feelings need to be shaped by the Word of God, not us shape who God is based on our feelings. Our experiences need to be seen through the light of His reality, not just through the light of what we're seeing right in front of our eyes. Faith allows us to do that, but without faith, we can't. You know, Romans 8, 28, it says that God works together all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which if you belong to Jesus Christ, that means that you love God and you are called according to his purpose, which that means he's turning everything in your life for good. He's working it for your good. And so when you lose that job, when the relationship doesn't work out, when your marriage begins to fall apart, when your kids aren't doing well, when that health problems comes in, you can stand on the word of faith. That he is working this for your good. But if you don't, you'll get bitter. And you know, bitterness, bitter people, they're so, they're so nearsighted. And I, I can sympathize with that because this situation, it just grows and grows and grows. And the story becomes the banner that we live by. But bitterness, it kills our vision. It, it doesn't just make us nearsighted. It literally blinds us to the blessings of God in our life. Check out what they said. They said, there's no food and no water. This worthless food. It's actually really silly because they say two things that are different from each other. There's no food and no water. And this food's terrible. <laughs> like, all right. It's like talking to a three-year-old. Like, there's either food or there's not food. Be grateful for what you have. Eat the broccoli. You know, like, and that's how we are. That's how they were. And you know what, like, they say there's no food, there's no water. Literally, for 40 years, God has been bringing down manna from heaven. He's been opening up the heavens and providing this bread that's like a honey graham cracker. And for 40 years, this bread has sustained them, it's strengthened them, it's carried them through, and they cannot see the provision of God in their life because they're blinded by what they don't have. Literally, just before this story here in Numbers 21, just before this, uh, you know, they're in the desert, and there's no water. And Moses strikes a rock, and water comes out of the rock, and everyone drinks water from this rock. And they're complaining that there's no water, just because there's not like a river right in front of them. You know, us, we're like, God, it's not right there. It's not the way I want it. It's not the way I expected. There's nothing. And he's like, you, you're so blind. You cannot even see. I am supernaturally breaking through in your life. I mean, God encourages us. He blesses us. He gives us community like this. He speaks to us. He provides for us. Every single one of us has clothing on right now, which I'm so thankful for. It's really awkward if you didn't. But we, we fail to see that because we're blinded by this 
bitterness. Bitterness is seeing, it's taking an offense and letting it go deep. It starts by seeing our cup as half empty. You know, we look at life and we say, oh, I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I don't have this. We're looking at all the things we don't have that God hasn't done instead of looking at all the things that God has done that we do have. Again, it's faith. We have to shift our perspective by faith. This is the banner that Paul puts over the life of every Christ follower. I think it's a good one for us. So Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a good banner. I'm blessing God today. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God went into all the heavenly realms, all the heavenly places, scooped up all the blessing and just laid it in our lap. And that's what he says is true about us, that we have been blessed. Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a blessing to the world. You know how we become a blessing to the world? We understand that we are a blessed people. The banner over our life should be blessing God, and I am absolutely, completely, totally, fully blessed. Our cup, no matter how we feel, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what difficulty we're facing, if you are in Christ, your cup is not just full, it is pouring over with blessing. And it's simply a matter of changing our perspective to see all of the blessing that God is bringing. And oftentimes, we're, we're shutting off the spout of God's blessing in our life because all we're seeing is what isn't happening. Every negative thought, every negative word, every bitter offense that we have taken is just shutting off God's blessing in our life. And the way you open that thing back up is you begin to thank him. You begin to bless his name. You begin to see what he has done. And all of a sudden, you'll see all these blessings. You'll be so overwhelmed with gratitude, all you'll be able to do is thank God and thank other people. Their complaints were, they were, it was a snapshot into their life. It was a snapshot into their heart. You know, the problem isn't just they were saying these things. The problem is that there's something absolutely wrong in their heart. They had stopped thanking God. You know, we do this with our spouse. Instead of thanking God for what they are, we just get annoyed with what they aren't. Uh, my wife, Rebecca, she shared a blog with me the other day about this woman, this Christian woman, who said, you know, I almost destroyed my marriage because uh, my husband, he was a bit of a slob, and uh, he always left his pants on the floor, like just around the house in random places. I'm grateful I've never done that, but he did that. She's always complaining, always, what? just be an be a adult, like pick up your clothes. Complaining, 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 complaining. And then one day he died, unexpectedly. She comes home and there's his pants. And all of a sudden, she wished he was there. She wished he was there to make a mess of the house again. What she realized, what she said, is I had lost sight of the blessing and the joy that this man was in my life. And all I had seen is what he wasn't doing. We can do that with our spouse. And if we do, it'll ruin our marriage. Absolutely destroy our marriage if we stop seeing what they are and just start seeing what they aren't. Also, if we don't live by faith at what they could become by the grace of God just being poured out on their life. It gets even worse when you start comparing your spouse to other people. Man, they're not this, they're not this, they're not this, they're not this. But man, if I, if I had a wife like that, I mean, man, she looks good. If I had a husband like that, like, man, he seems responsible. He actually, he's tender with it. I wish my husband was like that. I mean, geez, if I just had a husband or if I had kids like that. It's not just our marriage. We do it at work. We complain. 
you know, we complain about, I don't make enough money, I've got this tiny cubicle, my boss is unsympathetic, my coworkers are annoying, blah, 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 blah. We can, it's like, man, we have a job. We have a lot to be thankful for. God is bringing in provision in our life. We have a car, we can go to, I mean, there's just all these things. It's like, we could just see. We do it in the church. Man, those people over there, they're doing this, they're not doing this, they're not. I came in today, no one said hi to me, and just take these offenses on. We just pile them up. Especially if you go on Instagram, that's like terrible for your soul unless you can really see that, right? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm on Instagram, helpful, keep up on people's lives. But if you just look on that, like, oh, man, their life and their life and their life and their life. You know, watch your heart. And you just come back to your own life. You're like, man, just, I'm, my life's nothing. Like, I hate my life. What you, for, what you don't realize is they had to yell at their kids to get them to smile for five seconds. And then they photoshopped that picture for like 30 minutes. And then, oh, our life's perfect. It's like worse than Sunday mornings, you know. Sunday mornings, at least you see the kids throw a fit. But on Instagram, you can, you've got to be careful. It's important that we watch our hearts. Our hearts can really go to a bad place. Proverbs 4.23, a father speaking with his son. He's just giving him practical advice in life. And he talks to him about watching his heart. Uh, Some translations say guard your heart. Other translations say watch over your heart. ESV says keep your heart. Keep it with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. There's a lot of things to, to keep, to tend well, to pay attention to in life. You know, our money, our kids, relationships. Our jobs, we need to keep things, be faithful, steward them well. There's nothing more important in our life that we can steward than our hearts. For from it flow the springs of life itself. And if we just let this stuff slip into our heart, we will lose the spring of life, which is exactly what happened to Israel. We need to be careful not to pick up the bad attitudes of others. You know, Israel, they, they didn't just like, wake up one morning and all of a sudden they're all bitter. It doesn't happen that way. It's this slow burn. It says they grew impatient. A little impatience slipped in and then they grew more impatient and more impatient and more impatient. One day someone spoke up. They're like, oh man, Moses. He didn't have a clue what he's doing. Did you see that map? Did you see what we're doing? Moses is terrible. I think he's trying to kill us. You know what I think? I think God's holding out on us. I think this is all just some big scam. They told somebody. And that person, oh, they took it on. They, they let that offense go deep. And they told somebody, and it just, this whole thing just spreads. And all of a sudden, everybody's lost their way. Reminds me of Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You know, bitterness keeps you from obtaining the grace of God. That's scary. That's worth like getting out of our hearts. And I get it. Some of us are bitter because of really terrible things that have happened to us. Some of us have been abused. We've been molested. We've been cut by terrible words. Some of us have been cut incredibly deep by the things people have said and done to us. And I feel for you. And the Lord, he weeps for you. He's not standing off distant and uncompassionate towards that. Matter of fact, he loves you so much, he sent his son to die on a cross who was stripped naked and beaten by filthy men, who was whipped and mocked and spit upon, who had every vile thing barked at him. He came sympathizing with our weakness so that he could enter into our suffering and give us grace to get through our suffering. Not only that, to give us life, forgiveness, hope, peace, healing, joy. 
some of the offenses we've taken on are real. Some of the offenses we've taken on, we've just perceived in our own minds and we have deceived ourselves. That person didn't treat you the way they thought. They didn't invite you to that party, whatever it was. And we've just taken things on. We've begun to believe lies about other people. I mean, they're speaking over Moses. This guy led us out of here to die. It wasn't true. He led them out so that they could be free and have life. He was leading them to blessing. And they look at the leader and they're like, that guy's terrible. Because they grew impatient. It was their issue. But somehow they projected that out on him. We can do that. And we have to be really careful. Whether it's a real offense or just something we perceive, we have to be really careful to guard our hearts from bitterness because it will absolutely destroy us and it destroys other people around us. Bitterness can destroy an entire community. We're going to start groups back up this semester. I encourage you, as you get into your group, speak blessing over that group. Thank God for that group. Go person by person through that group in your personal time and just thank God for all the blessing that they are. And in doing so, you're guarding your heart from looking at those people and and just thinking of all the things they're not for you. Thank God for your leader, your community group leader. Pray for them. Thank God for them. Bless God for them. Cover their weaknesses in prayer instead of pointing at their weaknesses. It's important that we do this because the Lord will deal with us if we don't. Numbers 21.6, then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. The serpents, it wasn't just like a happenstance consequence of their actions. The Lord sent them. The Lord looked on what they were doing and he said, I'm not putting up with this. And he sent serpents into their camp to bite them and kill them. You know, that's a pretty good description of what bitterness does. It bites you and it kills you. I looked up this fiery serpent. You know, at first I was like, is that a dragon? Like, that's crazy. Fiery serpent? What is that? And it's not a dragon, unfortunately. I don't think. I mean, no one knows, you know. It could be, but... Most commentators said these, these fiery serpents, it, it probably was to describe the feeling that you had after you were bit, that the venom would go into your veins and literally feel like it was burning your veins until it killed you. And that's a pretty good description of what bitterness is. Bitterness is so silly because it's drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. We think we're holding that person to account for their actions. Like we think we're making them pay by being bitter towards them, by holding on to the offense, but actually we're just destroying our own souls. And that's exactly what happened to Israel. It's also statistically what happens. Uh, Statistically, people who are bitter experience higher blood pressure. They have more heart disease. Their immune system gets weak. Their metabolism doesn't function right. Their organs begin to fail. Statistically, people who are bitter have less joy, fewer friends, and they die sooner. If it isn't for the sake of obeying Christ and forgiving another person, maybe you're here, you're not even a Christian, just forgive. Move on. That bitterness is killing you more than it is them. Kevin Benton, who had every reason to feel bitter. It's a story from CNN. I'm just going to read it to you. His name's Kevin Benton, and uh, he's telling this story 19 years after it happened. It says, during his sophomore year in college, he says, while students harassed him and the only other African-American living on the floor in his dorm in order to get them to move out, The white students spat on their doors, tore the posters off their wall, and banged on their door at four in the morning. When Benton brought up the problem at a dorm meeting, the other students snickered. I felt like I was being bullied, being targeted. He says now of his college experience 19 years ago, I knew I couldn't retaliate in any way because I'd lose my basketball scholarship. 
This was the first time in his life Benton had encountered racism and it hit him hard. He had trouble sleeping and then over the next several months he suffered panic attacks. Finally, admitted to the hospital, he, he was found to have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or thickening of the muscles in the heart. The disease is the leading cause of heart-related sudden death in people under 30. So sick he couldn't walk, Benton lay in his hospital bed bitter and resentful. Quote, I thought to myself, I've never hurt anybody. I serve in the community. I work with youth. I wrestled with God. Why did this happen to me? Just then a janitor walked by and grabbed Benton's hand and prayed aloud to God to heal him. As soon as she said, Amen, Benton says, I felt like someone had poured cold water on my head and made my heart shrink. Benton forgave the students who had tormented them, and three days later, he walked out of the hospital. If I hadn't forgiven them, I would be dead. Benton was a Christian, and he knew that Christ had called him to forgive this person. Christ commands us as followers of himself to forgive as we've been forgiven. We received freely, we're to give forgiveness freely. The Israelites, their unforgiveness, their bitterness, their offense was, it had brought death on their lives. It was going to bring death on the whole camp. These snakes were going to continue to bite people and kill them until everyone was gone. But finally, they humbled themselves. They came came to the end of themselves where they realized this isn't worth it. The punishment of God opened their eyes to see we have to turn back. And that's just what they did. They turned to God in verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned. For we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So they did a couple things. They turned to the Lord and they did two things. They confessed and they repented. Repenting just means to turn back, to turn away from what we're doing and turn to the Lord. They confessed and they repented. They confessed to Moses first that they had done something against the Lord. It's really important that we note that because If we just treat our sin like, okay, I've just horizontally done some things wrong to some other people, we won't understand the gravity of our offense, that we've actually sinned against the Lord himself. Same thing David says in Psalm 51, verse 4, uh, David, king of Israel, sees a woman on a rooftop, calls her to himself, sleeps with her, commits adultery with her, and then kills her husband to cover it up. And Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance. Psalm 51, verse 4, he says, Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He recognized the gravity of what he did. It wasn't just that he killed a man. It wasn't just that he committed adultery. He had sinned against the Lord himself. But you know what? These guys, the Israelites, they didn't stop at confessing their sin of sinning to the Lord. Because that's not, that's not complete forgiveness. Just vertical forgiveness is not complete forgiveness. They had to take it horizontal. They came to Moses. They said, Moses, we've sinned against you too. We've sinned against you too. Please make it right for us. You know, if you don't deal with bitterness in your heart completely, which means to the Lord and then to whoever you're offended against, you haven't dealt with it. It's not true forgiveness. It's not true repentance. Jesus takes it pretty seriously. Check out what he said in Matthew 5, 23 to 24. He said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He says, it's so important. I don't want you to stand in this worship service and lift your hands and sing to me. I don't want you to make sacrifices. I don't want you to serve other people. I don't want you to do anything for me or to me until you go and make 
that right. God says, I want to deal with you. I want to bring you in. But the only way I can do that is if you deal with your brother the way I've dealt with you, which is forgiveness and mercy. It's really important we do this. If you are holding on to anything today, release it. Forgive that person. Absorb the pain and forgive that person. So they come to Moses. They're like, hey, Moses, we're sorry. Please pray for us. You know what Moses did? He punched him. No, he didn't punch him. That's what I would have done, but that's not what he did. You know what he did? He prayed for him. He prayed for them. These ungrateful, complaining Israelites, he prayed for them. It takes a humble leader to pray for bitter people, and that's exactly what he does. Maybe in your life, your work, your family, maybe you're a leader in this church. It takes a lot to pray for people who are ungrateful for your leadership, but that's the call of God to all of us today. But you know what Moses is Pretty impressive in this story, but he's not the hero, hero of the story. The bronze serpent on the pole is. If you look at verse 8, And then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. I want to make a few observations about this last part. One, the serpent on the pole is not preventative. It doesn't keep you from being bitten. It's for bitten people. There's a reality. We live in a sinful world. We will be bitten by the effects of sin. We will, that will come into our life. We will face hardship. We will face pain. The promise is if you look to the serpent, you'll live. It's not preventative. It's for people who were bitten who are going to die. Secondly, the snakes in the camp are from the Lord. He sent them. They didn't just happen to be there. The Lord sent them to punish them and turn them back. Thirdly, the means God chooses to rescue the people from his own curse is a picture of the curse itself. It's really important. Their curse becomes their salvation. Fourthly, all you have to do in order to be saved from God's wrath is look at his provision on a pole. They're saved not by doing, but by looking. Now, Jesus, when he walked the earth, he read the Old Testament, and he knew that it pointed to himself. He read the 330 prophecies in the Old Testament. He read these stories knowing that everything was building towards the day of him on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. And in John chapter 3, he's meeting with this religious leader named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to him and he says, Jesus, how do I have life? Jesus is explaining to it and breaking it down and talking to him. And then in verse 14, he uses this story to really show him who he is. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. A few observations about this. One, Jesus is the Son of Man. When he says the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, he's talking about himself, and he's talking about himself on the cross. Moses put a bronze serpent on a pole. The Father allowed his Son to be nailed to a cross and lifted up before all that he would be mocked at and spit upon, but ultimately that he would be looked upon. Secondly, Jesus is the source of rescue. Jesus is in the place of the snake. He's the source of healing. He's the source of life. He's the one that if you look to him, you will be saved. We're all going to die. We're going to die literally, but we're already dead spiritually if we haven't looked to Christ. The only way we can live today and forevermore is if we look to Christ and receive his life. Thirdly, Jesus is portrayed as a curse. This is probably the most shocking part of his comparison. The serpent, it's a sign of evil. Serpent in the garden with the first man and the first woman tempted them to sin and led them into sin. He is the father of lies. 
And so these serpents, they're a sign of God's wrath on the people. And Jesus comes and he compares himself to the serpent. He says, as the serpent was lifted up, so I'm lifted up. He who knew no sin became sin for us. It's what Galatians 3.13 says. He became a curse for us that we might not know the curse. Fourthly, Jesus gives eternal life. He gives us what we couldn't give ourselves. You and I, we can't give ourselves life. So the Israelites, there was just a fact. They were going to die. They could not pull the venom out. They couldn't heal themselves. There was no doctor on earth who could heal them. In the same way, there's nothing in the world that can heal us from our bitterness and our sin and our darkness except for looking to Christ. And fifthly, Jesus gives life to everyone who looks. Not to the one who attends church, not to the one who does the Bible study, not to the one who cleans their life up or makes themselves better, not to the one who achieves or becomes this moral person. He gives life, not to the one who works, but the one who looks. What we need to do today is look to Christ. For those of us who are bitter, we need to forgive. We need to receive his forgiveness and give his forgiveness. For those of us who are growing impatient because of the detours in life, you know, like we're just like, God, what is happening? Why are you delaying? Why are you delaying? Why, are you de- why am I detouring? All- why has it been 40 years? For those of us who are, are walking in the pain of offense for people who have genuinely hurt us, it's the same for all of us. We all need to look to Christ. We all need to receive his life and his forgiveness and then give that away freely. Don't let bitterness eat your life up. Don't let bitterness destroy your life in God. Don't let it destroy your life here on earth. He has called you for a purpose. Our time here is limited. Don't waste it being bitter. I know it's painful, but you can receive healing from the great physician, the healer, Jesus Christ himself. The Son of Man was lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's believe in him today. Let's look to him today. We're just going to draw a line in the sand. No more ingratitude, no more bitterness. We're going to look to him. We're going to receive everything he gives us as a blessing.